Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 37 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this live and in full effect on Sunday, March 29th, 2015. Today, I want to touch on what is a very touchy subject in the development community, and that's remote working. Earlier this month, someone I follow on Twitter retweeted a tweet by Justin Campbell. Justin was at the Mountain West Ruby Conference, and he was reacting to something that a speaker named Ernie Miller was presenting. Ernie was quoted as saying, forcing developers to commute to an office is a joke. And behind Ernie on stage was a simple slide that read, must be willing to relocate to 1992. I get it. It's very clever. I've dreaded making this podcast on one hand because I feel like Reddit or something will take the title, my show notes, one or two of my conclusions, probably not even listening to the rest of the podcast, and go off on some tangent. Hopefully, you'll listen to the entirety of the podcast before slamming me, uh, and if you hear the whole thing in good faith and you still hate what I'm saying, then I'd love to have a response. But remote work got a big hubbub about two years ago when Marissa Meyer from Yahoo decided to end her company's work-from-home policy. The cited reasons were a lack of productivity from its employees. Things had really spiraled out of control. But let's put a pin in it, and we'll come back to it. As I talked about in episode 32 with Andy Adams, sometimes when developers want to become independent, sometimes all they really want is to work remotely. Working remotely is kind of the dream with developers. You can just wake up, roll out of bed, stay in your jammies, and hit the computer. You don't have to deal with people, with traffic or commutes. You get to use your own hardware. You can almost set your own schedule. Lots of companies use this model to great effect. GitHub has remote employees. Stack Overflow, 37 Signals, which is now uh, Basecamp. Fog Creek, Google, Microsoft. The idea is not only that it can reduce office space costs, it also allows you to draw talent from a wider area. If Microsoft could only hire in the Redmond, Washington area, or people who could somehow want to or afford to relocate there, then it would significantly reduce their talent pool. As a global corporation, that's probably not a good idea. In the wake of Marissa Meyer's policy, so many people came out against her. What I just described for Microsoft, how could a company like Yahoo, a company that was basically fast becoming irrelevant, cut itself off from so many talented people? So that's another question to think about. And we already know. So I don't have to argue for remote work. Everyone knows what the benefits are. What I want to talk about today is learning to think of companies and think like companies that don't allow remote work. And are they all crazy? Are they all backwards? Or are there some good reasons why a company might not allow remote work? So one of my big problems with people who like to think like the presenter that I mentioned earlier is that they're kind of short-sighted. In my opinion, they most likely have one or two major misconceptions. First, they're either thinking of companies that are software companies to their core. In fact, every company that I named earlier is a software company at its core. Now, remote working definitely happens at other places, and I know firsthand American Express and Chase both have some level of a remote workforce, but I fear that developers aren't thinking outside of software companies. The second misconception that it seems like a lot of people have is that it makes no difference and it doesn't affect anyone else if they work remotely. That is the one I really want to dig into. One of the most famous and prolific remote workers that I'm aware of is Scott Hanselman. That guy does everything and he does it well. He's also been a remote worker for his entire career at Microsoft, which is about seven years at this point. Scott has blogged very often about what he goes through as a remote worker, and I'll have a link to the most recent one in the show notes. Some of the issues that he has had to deal with are around things like conference calls, where you know there's a conference number, and he dials in, and the people in the room, maybe there's 11 people in the meeting, 10 people are in the room, they forget to dial because they think everyone's there. He gets constantly asked, when's the next time you're coming up? When's the next time you're coming up? Like he's on vacation all the time or a lot of, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? There's a lot of mute issues. There's all that stuff. Lots of, of uh, phone problems. They People are hard to hear. He has issues with 
people asking him, why don't you just move up here? Again, lots and lots of problems. Um, he's got remote worker guilt. He's always working on concern that if he doesn't answer an email or an IM immediately, people will think he's at his house playing video games. Well, obviously, if I'm in an office and I get an email, I don't always respond to those right away. Maybe I'm doing a personal Pomodoro and for 25 minutes, I'm trying not to get interrupted. And in the five minute breaks, I may be responding to email. Or maybe I have an email Pomodoro coming up where I'm going to go through and answer all those emails that came in while I was doing some code or working on a presentation or whatever it is that Scott might have been doing. He has to deal with the fact that he's out of sight, out of mind. You know, people maybe forget that he's around or there. I would see how that might be difficult for someone like Hanselman because, you know, obviously he's he's such a presence, at least on the web, but I don't know what that translates to within Microsoft, but he, it's definitely a concern he's concerned about. VPN is a second-class citizen. I, I know this even from uh, some situations in my current company. When you log in over VPN, it's slower, first of all. Second of all, there are routing issues when you sign in over VPN. Yes, it's supposed to be like you're on a local network, but there are all kinds of things that crop up. And I have one friend in particular that if there's an issue, he's going to find it because he has that kind of luck. Another thing is Scott has basically made a robot to represent him in meetings. He has this little cart with a computer and a camera and is all set up to communicate. And he can log into it. Um, he, has an, he has an app he's written. You can find this on his blog where he can control the camera to move it around to be able to look at different people in the room and get some sense that he's actually present. So he has made tons and tons of concessions and efforts. He's working remotely. He feels guilt about people knowing that he's working all the time. He sacrificed building some work relationships. This latest post that I'm talking about, it went to Reddit where people just piled on about how dumb meetings are anyway and how the people at his company are dumb, which, I mean, we're talking about Microsoft. Not terribly likely that they're full of idiots, but they don't get the main point, and I feel like Scott really does. When some people are in an office and others aren't, you're inconveniencing those people who work in an office. It's just the truth. They always have to remember to include a conference bridge to include you. And if people can't hear you or if you can't hear people, that's a problem. Outside of meetings, all communication always having to be asynchronous is a problem. For all the advances in technology, we still don't have a good way to collaborate easily and naturally like a few people just sitting around a whiteboard. For technologies to get close to that experience, they're probably prohibitively expensive and I haven't seen them anywhere that I've worked, which again is not necessarily uh, a Microsoft, but that's part of what I'm talking about here is we're talking about the circumstances of different companies that may not allow remote working. I don't understand too how people can promote the value of hallway conversations and being able to ask quick questions or have someone quickly check something out on their machine, and at the same time realizing that involving a remote worker in those situations adds a barrier that many people will just skip rather than deal with. If you are a high-level employee who has to attend meetings or design sessions, this is a problem. The Redditors didn't see any value in meetings, and that made me wonder what level of business they even operate at. Architects have design sessions, and then they have to communicate those designs. At some companies, higher-level development talent has to interact with the business because the business is too small to have BAs and PMs. That can limit your ability to communicate, as I've already discussed. But let's just assume you're, quote, just a developer. The truth is you're still a problem. You require that development specifications, user stories, requirements, whatever, are written in such detailed fashion as to not to require you to have to ask any level of, or to have any level of confusion. If you do, just asking the BA to clarify isn't easy. You could end up with delays caused by phone tag and other asynchronous workflow issues. The counter to this was presented to me once, and the point was that I seem to be saying that the developer has to make up uh, for a BA, like developers are better than BAs. You know, again, if you listen to the last episode, you know that's not the way that I think. But maybe what I'm saying is that all BAs are idiots and can't do their job at the, fir- the first time. I'm not saying that either. The point, though, is that when remote workers are involved, a new level of detail is required. And with that level of detail, 
you really could just hand that spec off to an overseas development team because the thing that is supposed to be a main strength of the onshore development has just been taken away. So why are we paying a premium to someone who needs a ton of supporting staff just to blindly implement very detailed specifications? That may not be the case anywhere, but again, we're trying to look at examples of what companies might be thinking. Now let's go back a second to the need to ask a quick question. We can't overlook that one either. I worked for a consulting company that had a large remote workforce, and there was an individual who hadn't yet separated himself from needing to be involved in almost everything, which was a problem stemming from from very, very rapid growth. Whenever I had a question that needed answered, I'd send an email or an IM and not hear back until after 6 p.m. or later when he was on his way home. He was too busy traveling from meeting to meeting and putting out fires. But you know who could get their questions answered without large delays? The people in his office who could snag him as he went from meeting to meeting or during the gaps in his schedule that arose when meetings didn't always fill there a lot of times. You can't underestimate that. I can see what some of you are probably thinking. Pete, you're talking about companies with issues. You're talking about companies that should just do X or should just do Y and they'd be okay. That's great, but that's pie in the sky. Sorry. The fact is that these companies exist. Companies that are rapidly growing and companies that rely on customer software, but development is less than 10% of the company's workforce. Those companies aren't acting like it's 1992. They're just trying to deal with what is the reality of their company. There's another expression that my mentor likes to say, and that's, who do we hire to do the hard stuff and monetize their dysfunction? If you're trying to be a developer in some of these environments, you are making a living. You are working in a space. You are solving a problem for people who do have a specific problem. And that could be some of these issues that I'm talking about. And there's a space there and there's a space to make money. But at the same time, you can't get upset when they're not who you want them to be. And you don't have to work for them either, obviously. So I'm not suggesting that everyone who wants to work remotely should sacrifice their principles. Again, I'm just asking for understanding of the other side. Maybe that company's coming from a place that's had bad experiences with remote workers. Maybe the other 90% of the company isn't prepared to deal with remote workers and all the hassle, as Scott Hanselman described. But let's go back to the pin that I put in that Marissa Meyer thing. Yahoo was having issues with remote workers not being very productive. Yahoo's revenue per employee was about 60% of Google's based on some numbers that I saw published in Forbes, if I recall correctly. So whose problem is that? Obviously, Yahoo had weak managers. If they don't know what people are generally working on and they can't coach them up or let them go, then they have a team full of C or D players. Maybe both things are true. The remote work cancellation was a reaction, right or wrong, to a reality in the company. I think they needed to bring things closer to the home, work on them, sort things out, and then maybe they can distribute their workforce again in the future. To wrap up, if you work for a great company or a place full of other remote workers with tons of procedures and technology in place and lots of savvy employees, that's great. But if some company doesn't allow remote working, you're doing yourself and them a disservice by automatically assuming the worst and making some snarky response. If you do work there, you might be able to let them allow you to work from home once a week or once in a while. But then when you're working remotely, you need to be like a little handsome. You need to go out of your way to make every hardship your problem. If you make it a frictionless transition, the more you're going to be allowed to do it, and you might even open the way for others. But if you're selfish, act entitled, and resort to name-calling, you're definitely limiting your mobility in that company, and it never hurts to be more broad and have a better understanding of how business actually functions, both in general and at the company you're, you're working at. And a lot of that comes from interactions. Don't downplay the importance of that knowledge as you grow in your career. You may think that you'll be happy to stay in development for your entire career, but if you ever get an idea to make a startup or to transition into a VP or a CIO type position, gathering years of that knowledge, or at the very least being able to put yourself in their position and think like them, will help you immensely. So that's it. My pick of the week this week is a thread on Hacker News called I am the dumbest person in the room. What do I do? The link to that's in the show notes. You might think just from the title that this person's probably right where they need to be to learn and grow. Unfortunately, this person's colleagues have terrible attitudes and they treat him very poorly. He's asking if he should expect this almost everywhere he goes, how he should help himself ingratiate. If he does stay, should he leave? You know, whatever. 
The comments are mostly helpful, and they create a pretty good discussion around this topic, and it's definitely worth investigating. That's the show for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I'm at Pete on Software on Twitter, and my blog is at PeteOnSoftware.com. I hope if you take an issue with anything that I've said, or you might make your own blog post or podcast, and then come link to it in the show notes on my blog. Or if you just create constructive comments and arguments and leave them there in the comments uh, as well, I'd certainly appreciate it. I definitely welcome alternate, alternate viewpoints. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.